0: My grandma would go around the house singing them, and she was one of these people who always sang in the choir. And so there was no singing quietly. And she would go through the house just singing these songs out at the top of her lungs, and I, and I sit there and think about that song as well. And I'm just so comforted. Uh, and I remember hearing that song as a kid and having no idea what it meant, but knowing it made me feel comfortable. Um, and I'm just so grateful to God for that. Uh, Tonight, we're going to start with a little bit of a story. I want to tell you a story of a person you may have heard of. Uh, This man was a pastor and a professor. Uh, He sang in the choir. He preached Jesus Christ's gospel of grace from the pulpit. He fought against people trying to earn their way into heaven. He wanted people to rest in the faith of the grace of God. He spoke out against the Catholic Church and the purchasing of indulgences, people having to buy forgiveness for their sins. And actually, after one of his particularly rousing sermons, three of his students and people who really liked the way he taught went out on the street and began teaching in the same way. And those three young men were actually arrested and beheaded for preaching Christ's gospel. Even though this man was seeking peace and reconciliation within the church, The church did not like him. Some people began to follow him, but the leadership of the church began to denounce his teachings. People condemned his teachings. And some even made up lies that he was teaching things he wasn't actually teaching. But because the gospel of Jesus Christ was so attractive and people loved hearing about grace so much, he became quite popular. After some time, he was summoned to a council in Constance, not far from here. And there, after a few days of defending himself, the church council decided that he was wrong. He was imprisoned, deemed a heretic, and burned at the stake for going against the church. And his last words at the council, in court, were these. God is my witness that the things charged against me I never preached. In the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors. Because of this, I am ready to die today. And it is said that as he was about to die while being burned, he yelled out at the top of his lungs, Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. And his ashes were later thrown into the Rhine River. This is a story of a man some of you may have heard of. You can hit the slide now, Bima. A man named Jan Hus, who was actually a reformer a 100 years before Martin Luther. See, when we talk about the Reformation, we know what we're celebrating. We know we are celebrating, I mean, Scripture in our own language. Before that, it was Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And if you weren't wealthy, and you weren't educated, you didn't get to read it. And these men... Martin Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and Jan Hus and all of these other people. You know, we know these famous names, but think of all the people that supported them, all the people that encouraged them. You know, many of us know the story of Luther's relationship with the German prince who, who supported him and kept him safe from the Pope and kept him safe from the church when they were really angry with him. And so, as, as, as a Protestant church, as those who have come from this background, we celebrate this around this time of year each year. And especially this year because it's 500 years. 500 years since Martin Luther first nailed his theses, his discussion points to the cathedral door. Because he knew something wasn't right. He knew that there was a disconnect. That the poor felt hopeless because they couldn't afford these the forgiveness that the church offered. And when he read his scriptures, because he was fortunate enough to be a monk and to be educated, when he would read the Greek and the Latin, he would see a Jesus Christ that was gracious and loving and forgiving, and yet he did not see that at the church. And so so why talk about this? Why talk about Jan Hus and and, and some of these other people? Well, one, many of us know about Luther, and he gets plenty of credit. (laughs) Uh... But the Protestant Reformation was about a lot of men and women. The Protestant Reformation was about a lot of leaders who stuck up, who stood up for what they believed and they knew that their life was not as important as other people knowing about the love of Jesus Christ. you know if you go this is in, in Prague he was from and not far from Prague and, and many of, many of you have been to Prague and have seen that statue um, and, and if, you've been there and you haven't noticed it or you weren't sure what it was, I would encourage you, next time you're there, if you make it back, spend five or ten minutes, just walk over and look at it. And, and spend a little bit of time just thinking about what these people went through and what they put as most important. Or, or maybe here in Zurich, as you're walking along the river, just stop and look at the statue of Zwingli. And even though he had his faults, <laughs> the whole anabaptists and the river thing but but look at that man and think he was a guy who was trained as a monk who was raised and trained in the catholic church and educated and he decided that the most important thing to him was to preach the gospel of jesus christ he didn't do it perfectly i don't do it perfectly and none of us do it perfectly but these men and women saw there was a need for justice They wanted people to be able to read the Scriptures in their own language and hear and think about the words of Christ. You know, as as I mentioned sort of jokingly about the Reformation, and Doug mentioned it this morning, it's hard sometimes for a pastor because you think, yay, Reformation Sunday. But then you look at the history of the world and you look at, wow, the Reformation was really violent and bloody, and a lot of people died. And then you look at 500 years before that when actually the, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church split you know, between Rome and Constantinople. There's a, a thing called the Great Schism. And, and that was really violent and bloody too. And then you think of the, uh, the decentralization of, of when the church sort of left Rome at the fall of the Roman Empire and, and, and the Christian Empire was sort of crushed and you realize, oh, that was really bloody too. And it's really hard to want to celebrate this Because like we talked about last week, if you remember, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to bring life and to bring reform and to bring heart and worship to a religion that was bogged down with rules. And and, and a religion that made people feel shame instead of grace. And that's why Jesus came. And and what's amazing is that the same teachings... (laughs) that created this fighting amongst the Pharisees and the Jews and the Gentiles is the same teaching that, that, that created fighting 1,000 years ago, that created fighting 500 years ago, and now here we are today. These, these teachings that can be so divisive and have caused so much problems throughout history. Words that have led to wars and death, which is so ironic because they were words meant to give life. It's, just as a side note, it's a great example of the human condition, isn't it? (laughs) That God gives us his inspired scriptures and and gives us words that are meant to encourage and give us life, and yet we turn them into war and death. Um, I know I'm a little cynical, so forgive me. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to read a text from Ephesians chapter 2. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome. It will also be on the screen. And this is this is a text that many of us are familiar with. Doug actually preached on it this morning. And what's funny is we both chose these passages for today, for Reformation Sunday, without knowing the other had chosen them. Um, and so if you were here this morning, apparently God wants you to hear this twice. Um, but if you think about this, with Hosea chapter 14 and the love of God, that's what I want you to, to think about here as we read this. Because Hosea is is a story, if you don't know the story of the prophet Hosea, it's basically a story of God's love for his people, even though they rebel. Uh, Hosea was a prophet who God said, hey, go and marry this woman, and she's going to be unfaithful to you, and then she's going to be unfaithful again, and then you're going to forgive her, and and, and, and you're going to keep forgiving her, and not only that, but then you're going to go, and you're going to pay her debts that she incurred while she was unfaithful, and then you're going to welcome her into your home again and love her all the more. And that passage we read is from the end of that prophet's book, God talking about how much he loves the people and how much he will forgive them and and forgive them over and over, and they will one day be like a cedar of Lebanon. If you don't know, uh, just this is a total side note, but I just want to bring this up. I think the Lebanese flag is one of my favorite flags in the world. It's got that big cedar tree in the middle and and, in that country this is just one of those things where i just love the bible because it talks about the cedars of lebanon throughout the old testament and they actually used the cedars of lebanon to build solomon's temple (laughs) and yet here it is this country that unfortunately has had a really rough last hundred years or so but here it is this country that takes pride in this tree that grows there and, and god uses it as an example and we still see it today it's so cool i love scripture for that reason but so uh we're going to read Ephesians two, and we're going to talk about why this is so divisive to the world. So, uh, follow along with me, either in your Bible or on the screen. This is the words of the apostle Paul to the Ephesian church. He says, "As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time." gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus Thanks be to God. So, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And if you've read through Acts and you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, he spent a while there, a couple of years. Uh, this is the same church where Timothy was a young pastor. We, we talked about Timothy last year, if you were around. Um, and Paul, you know, I don't often talk about Greek and Hebrew, because I'm not very good at studying them. But this is one of the cool features about some of the things Paul does, is when you look at it and you... You read about it and, and what he's trying to say. This is actually all one big, long, run-on sentence. Okay, So these ten verses, he really wanted to be together. And it's sort of like he's saying, hey, and, 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 and. It's one big thought that he wants us to get together. And he starts out really simple. All right, what I love about this passage is it's not convoluted with all these if ands, or buts. It's very simple and to the point. And he says, first, you were dead. Listen, we have to understand this. This is a church. I am a Christian. I am a pastor. There are some things I cannot get around. And one of the things I cannot softball, one of the things I cannot soften the blow, is that we have a fate, and that fate is death outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, because of our transgressions, we deserve death based on God's scale of righteousness. It, 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 it's very clear through the scriptures. And Paul says the same thing. He says, listen, we, you got to understand. You were dead. okay? You were dead. This was your fate. And why were you dead? It's, it's clear in verse 2, because you followed the ways of the world. Because you followed the kingdom of this world. Because you gave in to the temptations of this world. You followed the spirit that leads to disobedience. I hate that word, disobedience. You know, it's one thing when you mess up because it sort of has this connotation of, well, I just did this one thing one time, you know, or, oh, I just slipped up, or, oh, I just, I remember my mom would always use this word with me to, to, to sort of, that maybe this is why I don't like it, to say you're just being disobedient. You're knowingly, willingly choosing to do what is wrong. And I would just think, yeah, I am. <laughs> and, and and when I see this word disobedience in verse 2, th- this is what it is. It's not a spirit of messing up. It's not a spirit of trying your best. It is a spirit of willingly. God says we have willingly chosen to disobey him. And Go no further than think of sin. And think of, this is the way I always put it, whatever your sin of choice is, we all have them, right? We all have something we do, whatever it is. When we think about sinning, there's certain times we do just mess up, that's fine. But there's also times we premeditate it, right? We think about a lie ahead of time. We think about how we're going to phrase something. We think about how we're going to skew something. We think about how we're going to get away with something. That's disobedience. It's planning it out. And what God is saying through the Apostle Paul here is, listen, it's because of those actions, it's because you gave in to this spirit of disobedience, you were dead. You are dead. But then he goes on and he sort of says, hey, but hey, you know what? Verse 3, don't feel bad <laughs> because we were all there. It's not a comparison game. You know, you don't have to compare yourself to the pastor or to your neighbor who has that perfect life or, or that person you follow on Instagram who has everything put together. It's not a comparison thing. You say, listen, that person you look up to, yeah, they were dead. The pastor, he was dead, Right? Martin Luther and, and, and Jan Hus, I'm sure that guy, he has a statue. I'm sure he was a sinner and had some real bad stuff in his past. Who among us, right? So Paul says, hey, don't feel too bad because all of us at some point gave in to this. But there's a problem because as soon as we gave in, as soon as this human condition of sin infected us all, We became objects, and this is his words, not mine. We became objects of God's wrath. Objects who were deserving of God's wrath. And this is hard because it sounds like it kind of goes against Jesus, right? For God so loved the world. So how could he love us and also point his wrath at us? Well, as many of us know, and we've talked about before, our God is just. And just like you, if someone in your family had a, had a horrible crime committed to them, you would desire justice. So too does God desire justice for the things that we do. The simple answer is the reason we have trouble understanding this is because we are not just, and God is. <laughs> and, and I hate to say it so, so callously, but, but we are his creation and we are subject to his authority and the rules he has set for this earth. All of the goodness and all of the joy and all of the blessings we have show us that God is good and therefore we can trust that His justice is good. But, but this world, see this is where that spirit of disobedience come from. The world doesn't like that. Right? They want to be free. They want to be individuals. We want to be our own people. Right? This is why you want to move out. Man, you guys remember the first time you moved out of home whenever it was? I was pretty young. I was 17, just turned 18. And I remember I had driven cross-country. Actually, it's kind of cool. I had driven cross-country in a Volkswagen bus with my big brother to college. We went to the same college, and I was a freshman in college, and I was sitting there, and I remember sitting in the room, you boxes of stuff over, just thinking, I can do whatever I want. I'm finally free. If I want to stay up all night playing video games, I'm going to do it. If I want to eat, you know, chips and Cheetos for dinner, I'm going to do that. It's going to be great. I'm finally free. I'm, I was sick of rules. I was sick of a curfew. I was sick of being told what to do all the time. This is the story of life. Everyone's sick of rules and wants to be independent and wants to be free. And while that's good, if it is not freedom in Christ, that is the spirit of disobedience. Because the universe has, has sort of created this lie nowadays Right, that everyone has to find this super special calling, that, that, that there's something inside of them they have to discover and find out what the universe has made you to be. Um, that's nonsense. God tells us who we are and who he's made us to be. And when we think of God's authority, we push back because we think of God as maybe an authoritarian parent or maybe someone who, who, who wants ill for us. But what the apostle Paul says next shows us not only that God wants good for us, but that actually submitting to God's authority is the ultimate freedom. As we see in verse chapter or verse 4. It says that God loves us and that he is rich in mercy. See, this is the easiest way I can explain this. On one hand God is love, right? And on the other hand God is just. Now, how can God love us but also condemn us to wrath? See, a lot of people think these two things are out of balance. But this is what's so great about our God is he's loving and he's just, and then the way he deals with us is when the two meet and there's mercy. And that is when heaven comes to earth and we see the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's, it's full of God's love and it's full of God's justice but it's displayed in mercy for our sins. And so if you think about it this way, as a character trait of God, he's loving and he is just. He's not merciful because that's just how he interacts with us. Mercy is a way that we can understand those two things. And we see it in Matthew when Jesus says this. He says in in, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus lays it out perfectly. He says, you have put this yoke on you, which is the, the collar cattle would wear, you know. And he says, you have put this thing on yourself that's not supposed to be there, trying to find this special, unique thing. No, I have that for you. Take my yoke, and you will see that I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How, how much does the world try to find rest for their souls? You know, there's, there's this new industry, and actually, I I, I think they're really cool. But I, I find it funny that people have such a hard time relaxing now. Do you know they have adult coloring books? They're actually really helpful. I've used them before. But they have this. It's a new, whole new industry to where they tell adults, listen, slow down. Buy a pack of crayons or colored pencils. Here's a coloring book and listen to, to classical music or something and just spend 30 minutes coloring like you did when you were a kid. People pay $250 an hour to see a therapist to tell them to act like a child and color within the lines. The world wants rest for their souls, and they're willing to go to great lengths to find it. And by the way, it's, they have Christian ones that are really great. You can listen. They have psalms all over them, and you can listen to worship music in color, and I love them. I'm not, I think they're great. But this is what Jesus is offering. This is what Paul is talking about. We have rest through Jesus Christ. And how can we trust this? Fortunately, Paul has this really long sentence. We're only halfway through. He says in verse 5, he says, because Christ made us alive. In verse 1, we were dead, but now by verse 5, we are alive. And it is by grace that we've been saved from death. He saved us and made us free while we were prisoners to our sin. You know, never forget, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, grace, the whole idea of Jesus dying on the cross does not make sin safe. Don't forget what Jesus said in John chapter 8, that if we sin even once, we are a slave to sin. Okay, so this is why he takes this so seriously. And Paul says, listen, you need to understand that Christ is the only thing that can free you from this. But not only does Christ make us alive, not only does he bring us up from the dead, if that weren't enough, in verse 6, he doesn't just raise us up back to earth but he goes one step further and raises us up. Theoretically, I don't know where heaven is, but if it's up, he raises us to the heavenly realm that we are seated with God for eternity. God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him. Why? He tells us in verse 7, so that in the coming ages, He can show the incomparable riches of His grace. That He can show us more grace. That He can shower us with more love. That He can show mercy not only to you, but to the whole world who is looking for rest for their souls. And the great thing about grace is the more you dig into it and the more you try to understand it and share it with others, just the better it gets. It's like a really good thing that is true, the the further you dig, the more it's proven true. Grace, the more you dig into it, the more gracious and amazing it becomes. I mean, singing that song Amazing Grace, unbelievable. And he says in verse 8, this is why. So that none of us can boast. It's not by works, verse 9. It's not. And this is what all these guys fought for, and this is what so many people died for, to say that no, I I see in Scripture that this is not by works, so that we cannot boast. It is only through the love and mercy of God. And then Paul just adds on this last verse in verse or this last sentence in verse ten. That, that just is so much, so encouraging. It's like a shove out the door. And he says, because we are God's workmanship, created to do good works. But remember, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. So even though you have to do work now, God has already prepared that work for you to do. So <laughs> he says, listen, God has already prepared these things for you, so go out and do it. So we live for him and we find out that the, the living in grace and, and doing these works which he's prepared for us, is the way to live, is what leads to freedom. And many of us know this to be true. Many of us believe this and rely on this with all that we are. And so as we look at this, you know, why was Paul preaching this so importantly? Why was Paul harping on this contextually in the first century? You know, for those of you guys who haven't been here, we're going through different arguments in the first century and applying them to our life today. You know, remember in the Roman world, it was about sacrificing to gods and sort of being in good standing with a God. And as a Jew, it became so entangled with the law that if you weren't doing all of these good works, there was no way you could be saved. You know, remember what the Pharisees said. You know, How can this guy be a teacher of the law? How can he be a son of God? He's eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. There's no way. This guy doesn't have good works. And at the time of the Reformation, 500 years ago, it happened again. The church got so clogged up with money that they needed grace and grace. And, and, and so what is our issue now? It's not money. It's not, you know, you guys don't have to come and, and, and pay to go to church. What's our issue? What, how can we understand grace better and, and, and what God is trying to do here? I was thinking about this for a while. And um, this past week I was at Falbigay. Me, with the ETH uh, Zurich students and college students, and they have a, a, a talk coming up, and one of the phrases I saw reminded me of this. Um, and I forget what the exact talk is called, but it's the, the term post-facts or post-truth. Post meaning after, and then facts or truth. Have you guys ever heard this phrase? Sociologists and scientists are, are realizing now that we're going into a, a time that they're calling post-truth. Meaning that it doesn't really matter if you have facts. People's feelings and emotions are dictating what they see as reality. Right? It's, it's why things, things like the flat earth theory have come back up. There's actually people out there who think the earth is flat and that the, the earth being round is a lie. And, and I'm, I'm being serious. You can look it up. I mean, they're crazy, but they're there. But people are living now in a world where emotion And how they perceive reality is truth. And when we look at Scripture, I'm seeing this and I think, wow. You know, we believe this salvation Paul talks about affects us here and now. But one of the things we forget about as Christians, and I want to remind you, is this is not just for heaven. While it's great that Christ raises us from the dead and one day we will be with him in heaven and at the throne room for all eternity, that's awesome. But there's another thing that Christ did. And when God's love and justice came down with mercy, it began the process of renewing our hearts. Because if we were dead, as Paul is talking about, and sin has infected us, then our hearts are diseased. Our hearts are messed up and they need help. We need to realize and remember that the Christian life is not just about getting to heaven, but about the renewal of the heart. Salvation through Christ offers us healing. And see, it's not brand new. It would be easy if it was. If we said a little prayer, walked up to the front, said, I'm a Christian now, and God just swapped it out for a better one. It's renewal. Which means that it takes work, which means that it takes time, which means that if the world is following their hearts, but they're not submitting to Christ, what then are they following? They're following something that's false. The only way we can know and trust our hearts is if our hearts are being renewed by Christ. See, Jesus and Paul both taught this to the first century Gentiles and Jewish people that we need to retrain our hearts here on earth. This is why Jesus said all the time, the kingdom of God is at hand. Not the kingdom of God is there when you die, but the kingdom of God is at hand, is now. How do we do that? By the renewal of our heart. That we need to be remade. That we need to take off, as Jesus said in Matthew 11, the yoke we have placed on ourselves, that the world has placed on us, and take what God has given us. As the psalm says, we need to be refined in the fire. And this is what the Reformation reminded people of. It came from great traditions. I mean, the songs we sang tonight are the result of people renewing their heart and going through life. You know, many of us know Amazing Grace was written by a former slave trader. I mean, think about what you've done and multiply it times a thousand and then write a song so beautiful like that. Come Thou Fount was written by a young man who experienced this forgiving grace, and because of it, because of the grace of God, he wrote this song and eventually became a preacher and a songwriter because his heart was renewed and he left whatever he was doing before. It is well, the one I was talking about, we sang for the offering. Um, You can look it up. This is really well documented because it's not as old. It's only about 150 years old. It's about a lawyer from the Chicago area who lost everything in the great chicago fire in the late 19th century and and then before oh sorry before the fire he lost a son about two or three years old and then he lost the next year lost everything in the chicago fire and then after he had rebuilt his life he had decided to treat his wife and kids to a trip to europe but he had work to do and so he sent his wife and four daughters on a boat across europe and the boat capsized and all four of his daughters died And while his wife waited for him in England, as he took a boat across, he wrote the song, It is well with my soul. I'm going to be honest with you. If I had four children die in one accident, I'm pretty sure I would not be saying it is well with my soul. Jesus did not come just for heaven. But for us to be able to endure things like that, for us to be able to have our hearts renewed to comfort and love each other and then offer grace in the midst of all of it. And this is what our world needs to hear. But people don't want to hear that. They just want to think and trust and follow their heart because they think of Christianity as some ancient religion that doesn't make any sense. They think that they're following their heart and that's going to lead them to somewhere good. But our hearts lead us all over the place. It has led us to a place, I mean, I, I look at who God has made me to be and who I've become by following Christ versus who I was before that, and it's not even close. And, and I know that everyone thinks if everyone follows their heart, we'll all be really tolerant and understanding and sort of live this perfect utopian lifestyle. I have to be really honest with you, I just don't see it. When I see the fighting in the world, when I see the confusion in the world, when I see I mean, I know it's not a popular topic, but when I see the this, this sexual and gender dysfunction in the world today, I think it's because people are following their hearts and their hearts are not submitted to Jesus Christ. They're sitting there thinking, Who, what does my heart tell me? If I followed my heart, I can tell you this much. I would not be married. I would not have a penny to my name. Odds are I would be an alcohol-addicted, gambling-addicted, homeless person. Because if Christ, was not, if Christ did not die for us and did not raise us with him, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, right? But if Christ did, he wants to renew our hearts. He wants to fix what was broken. He wants to raise us from the dead. And this is why we rely on God to do the saving and only God to do the saving, because we've proven by our actions that we cannot be trusted so then we must rely on grace for the renewal of our heart and for our Christian growth throughout life. If we rely upon ourselves, we're believing in the lies that the world is believing. And that, as we saw, leads to that spirit of disobedience when we follow the world. Jesus makes this really clear in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and then defile a person. We want really badly to blame the world for our stuff. (laughs) But it's our doing. And the only way to get better, the only way to be free from the sin that enslaves us is to have Christ renew our hearts. You know, that was from Mark chapter 7. This, many of us are also familiar with the passage from James where it says, Never say that when you're tempted, you're being tempted by God because it's your own heart that's leading you astray. Yeah, our hearts are so silly. Because on the one hand, they give us this great capacity to love others and to experience God's love, but they also are the things that can lead us away the second we try to control it and keep it to ourselves. So when you think of salvation, think about it like this. God did not just save us from death. He also saved us from ourselves. He saved you from yourself. He saved you from what you would be without him. And as I mentioned, Somewhat in in tongue-in-cheek, I'd probably be an alcoholic and a gambling addict because to me, I look at my family example, I look at where I came from, I look at addiction, and I look at the background and the way I was raised. And without Christ, there'd be no reason. Why would I live for anyone other than myself? But when we see Christ, we see grace, and we see love, and we see mercy. And we know that God is with us. Because without God, we can't do it. You know, this is, this is what the story of David and Goliath was about, right? The famous children's story. Everyone's scared of Goliath, and David comes up and says, Why are you guys so worried? God already told us. Don't be afraid. Trust the Lord. God is with us. He can and He will conquer sin and evil. And that's the thing we're fighting against with this world today. The idea that the world believes that people are generally good and that people can be trusted. That we don't need saving. Philosophy of the last 150 years and eventually it really started with a lot of the French philosophers and after the French Revolution almost 200 years ago where they basically said, we don't need God anymore. We we got this. We don't need the church. We can do this on our own. I want you to think about your life. Think about your life and think about People in life that maybe have hurt you, maybe have taken advantage, maybe have manipulated. That's what people do when they're left to their own devices. And then think of the people who inspire you. Think of the reason you're a Christian. Think of the people you have seen that have given you hope for a future. And that's what Christ offers. And through the renewal of your heart, you can be that for others, that other people would look to you and say, wow, look at the difference between God and the world. Look at the difference between the spirit of Jesus Christ, the living God, and the spirit of disobedience. I want nothing to do with that. We absolutely need saving from ourselves. Look at the things humanity has proven and continues to do each day. You know, the Reformers were doing nothing new. They were just going back to basics. And basically all the Reformers and what we celebrate on Reformation Day is not the separation of church, is not, you know, men or we don't celebrate people. We celebrate people saying we just need to trust God again. Let me challenge you. Each day this time or each year this comes around, Reformation Day, and whatever you decide to do, think of it as a day to remember to just trust God again to just stop and say, I don't want to do it on my own. I need you to save me and I need you to take care of my heart (laughs) because somehow I've messed it up again. And remember what Paul said to the Ephesian church, Christ not only raises you from the dead, but he goes that extra step and he takes you with him to be with God for all eternity. And we'll get there one day. But right now, we're in this in-between, this waiting, and that is where God is saying, be refined. Trust me to work on your heart. Trust me to fix it. Trust me to repair it. There may be scars, there may be pain, and that's okay. But trust me. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, I am, I am so, so happy you chose to show us mercy. And Lord, the way you showed us mercy through the love of Jesus Christ all the more. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, I know what you mean to me, and I pray that each person in this room does as well. That they would be honest with you. They would be open with you. And Lord, even if they haven't been honest and open up until now, Lord, that that now it would begin. Lord, we give you control of our hearts. Lord, there are scars and there are wounds and there are pains, and we get nervous. Show us your love and your mercy to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And thank you for all the men and women who have gone before us who have set an example of faith and love and mercy. Lord, may we be a generation that shows an example to others. That when people see us, Lord, they see the light and love of Christ, not the spirit of disobedience. Let us fight against the lies of this world with the love and truth of Jesus Christ found in your scriptures, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. I'd invite you, um, Matt, if you'd like to come up and...